This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Auth0, authentication made simple for developers. Modern authentication and identity can be hard, but Auth0 makes it easy. With Auth0, you can enable login with any social provider, have multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, and passwordless login all at the flip of a switch. Find out how to add authentication to your Angular 1 or 2 app in under 10 minutes at Auth0.com forward slash Angular. Hello and welcome to Angular Air. My name is Jeff Welpley. I am your host today. On today's show, it's going to be a little bit different. We're basically, instead of an interview, we're going to just have a discussion topic show. Um, there's a couple of reasons for this that we'll get into uh, in a little bit, um, but for our panel today, I am pleased to welcome in a new uh, panelist, Justin Schwartzberger. Hey, how's it going? Good to be so here. Just, so Justin, uh, to start off, since this is your first time on the show, why don't you give us kind of an introduction to yourself and let people know a little bit of who you are? Yeah, sure. So I'm Justin Schwartzberger. I'm a lead engineer at SoCreate. We're uh, building a future screenwriting platform for writing screenplays. Uh, powered by Angular 2. Uh, I also do uh, training videos that I put together for uh, different outlets, uh, currently putting a bunch together on Angular 2 for lynda.com, and just like to share knowledge and uh, live in this world of uh, that we're in with Angular 2, front-end development, all that goodness. You also gave a great ng-conf talk. On, uh, yeah, so you want to talk a little bit about what you went over at ng-conf? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was excited to be able to uh, talk there about uh, Angular 2's fresh approach to style. I uh, got an opportunity to share what uh, Angular is doing with its CSS shim and how it uh, scopes CSS to components that you write. So you have this ability to write CSS, uh, use whatever kind of classes, uh, other type of selectors that you want specifically for that component, and it kind of isolates that that's scoping out for it. So it was pretty, pretty cool to share that on stage and be around the community and uh, engage with everybody about this topic. It, I mean, it was an awesome conference and great opportunity. And um, you guys spoke to you guys did a great job. I always love your uh, universal stuff. Uh, it's cool to learn about that. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll have a link up to your talk. If anybody who's watching has not seen it, you definitely should. Um, but let's get into some happening. So we have a bunch of topics we're going to talk about today of, you know, stuff in the not only Angular world, but sort of the JavaScript community and um, things that people have been talking about interested in recently. But first, I want to dive into kind of um, for Justin and I, uh, some of the things we've been working on, and that, that'll touch on some of these topics as well. So uh, Justin, first, you know, what are you kind of, you mentioned a couple of things that you've been doing lately with training courses, but uh, you want to give us kind of a rundown of um, what, what's the top of your mind these days? Yeah, sure. So um, the most recent thing I'm kind of doing at, at work here is uh, working on a uh, style guide app uh, that's going to kind of show patterns and practices uh, for building as we build this application, uh, again, using Angular, Angular 2. And one of the interesting things that we're doing with that is we have this concept of uh, global components in this application that we're building. And they're kind of like, uh, I guess what people would consider like dumb components. I kind of like to refer to them as decoupled components, uh, be a little nicer. But basically the idea that you have these components that are going to be reused throughout the app that they really only, their whole interface is through input and output, right? Um, and so we have these global components and we want to surface them in the style guide app that we can drive people to, to, to check out. But we want them to be functional, uh, so actually running in this app, so outside of the actual native app that they're living in. Um, and we also want to be able to, uh, scaffold like samples for them, right? So you have this global component that's going to display, uh, like a context menu and you want to be able to show here's the different stages that, that, that you could use this component in, right? If you give it these inputs or these outputs, it's going to look different. It's going to function a little different. So we wanted to be able to say, how can somebody build like sample components that represent the state of that and the, the implementation of that? So I'm using this uh, the dynamic component loader, uh, pulling in these global components, actually bringing in system JS into the code to load them on the fly as you kind of go through this menu and pick, I want to see this component, bring in this component along with all of its samples, which are actually Angular components that then will render on this in the style guide and kind of give us this ability to 
surface and see these global components in action. So is the main thought that you're creating a reference implementation that people can model the style and the way that you're doing it? Or are, do you want people to actually use, reuse your components? Yeah, so the concept would be that uh, as our, our development team goes in and says, okay, I need to build a new tool in this application, right? Um, it's going to be made up of some of these global components. So what do I have in my inventory? So I go to the style guide. I see those global components I can use to craft my tool component. Um, and then what I can see different implementations of those. I actually see the markup because of these sample components. Copy-paste that markup bring that into my tool component and start using it and, and see it in those different fashions. So it's like r- using those existing global components to build greater tools components inside of this app. Okay. So it's, it's something you guys are using internally. Is it's something that you are also going to expose any of that uh, externally for other people to. Uh, yeah. So at, as we, uh, as we get kind of nailed down of how this thing works and that, that kind of this ideal workflow kind of way of, of the architecture of the style guide app, we want to, um, put this thing out in there, open source it, kind of give it opportunities so other people can kind of use it and, and see what it's like and hopefully implement it and stuff like that. So we definitely want to share this this code. So I'm kind of trying to get the, the foundation dialed in and then um, and then I have to decouple it from our specific app, you know, because there's some stuff specific for our style guide feel and then throw that out there and hopefully people can share that knowledge, people can learn from it and, and use it. So hopefully. That'd be awesome, man. Definitely uh, publish the link when... Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll retweet that from the Angular Air cool. account. Cool. Um, what else do you have going on? Um, so other than that, uh, I've put a, I currently have two uh, Angular 2 cor- training courses up on uh, lynda.com for subscribers over there. And I'm in the process of building a third one right now. Um, I have one on essential training, Angular 2, one on Angular 2 forms, uh, diving into the model-driven approach of forms. And I'm currently working on the uh, data-driven app where we're going to kind of dive into HTTP and uh, observables and kind of on the fence whether I'm going to do the whole Redux thing or not, um, but kind of deciding on that too. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Um, anything else on your plate? Um, those, those are the main things right now, you know, um, Angular, obviously. So, um, yeah, and then just, uh, you know, Chris Ford, actually, uh, I do some writing as well. Uh, we've got a local... Um, uh, writers conference coming up in September and I'm debating on whether I can fit in enough time to do a submission for creative writing for that. So I might work that in if I have time, but that would be the other thing. So, Oh, that's cool. So you basically uh, dog food your own pro- your own product as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why this whole product is very interesting to me is because I, I love writing. So it's really kind of best, best of both worlds. You know, I do the software development, so it just all comes together. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and as far as, Angular Air goes, uh, you know, the background story there is that I, I've known Justin for a little while from other conferences that we've met. And during, actually, we got paired up as buddies um, before the conference where all the speakers were paired up with someone else who would review their talk and give feedback and that type of thing. And Justin gave great feedback as always. And, uh, you know, it, it was good to talk to him ahead of time. And then during the conference, um, not only did I enjoy his talk, we, we had like a long conversation at one of the bars uh, afterwards. And I, I just couldn't help uh, getting his uh, silky smooth voice out of my head. And I was like, this must be on uh, the show. So I convinced nice. him uh, to join us. So hopefully he'll be on a lot more. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, we actually met at uh, in person at Angular U. Yes. And we actually kind of paired up there because you guys tweeted out, you know, Hey, we're looking for somebody to come down, give us some feedback. And so we jumped on that, that one night and uh, actually got to go over your talk uh, for that there. So that was pretty cool. So now we've done it twice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I owe you. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to break for a moment for a message from angular class. This episode of angular air is sponsored by angular class. If you're looking to learn the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques, or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at angularclass.com. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. So speaking of Angular Air, um, going to some of the stuff that I've been up to, uh, there's been a number of things. I mean, so we did 
have a couple weeks here where we're, we're off schedule. Like, so obviously this show is being recorded, not on our normal day. We're a little bit out of sync and that's for a couple reasons. One of which being that we're in the process of changing some of the format for the show. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to go over everything right now, but the basic thing is that up until now we've done interview style, you know, which has been worked great. And I think we've had some great shows with really interesting people, um, but I wanted to try to figure out a way to better leverage some of the unique aspects of this particular show, which includes, you know, it being live sometimes, uh, you know, including some, some live elements, having the actual video there. Uh, so we're going to mix up things a little bit that uh, we'll still have interview style shows moving forward, um, but we're going to mix in a couple other formats. One of them being this one, like today, where we do just discussion style and have just like topics that our panel kind of go over and talk about. So I'll be interested to get feedback from everybody listening on, um, you know, what they think about that. And then there'll be one additional format, which will be tutorial style. Basically, we're going to, um, we're trying to set up something where the guests that come on will have a couple tutorials um, prepared and they'll actually go over them sort of like uh, almost like egghead style in during the show, except that as opposed to egghead, which is like everything's kind of pre-planned um, or plural set or whatever, it's more kind of on the fly where you're showing it and then we can kind of give feedback on the fly. And uh, hopefully it will, will create a dynamic where the panel and the presenter can kind of interact and, and go in different directions than even the original presenter thought about. Uh, which is sort of the goal. So we'll see how that works. We're going to try it out a couple of times uh, over the course of the next couple of months and get some feedback from everybody listening. And then we'll see from there. Uh, now, so that's taken some time. Uh, also, what is at play is that, uh, you know, just like Justin, I work for a startup and we're in a fundraising um, round or we're, we're trying to raise money right now. Uh, so as CTO, that takes up a lot of my time and, uh, way more than I, than I thought really. Uh, and th this is a topic that kind of diverges a little bit from angular, but I know that a lot of people listening, you know, are working for startups, are working for, you know, kind of entrepreneurial endeavors. Uh, so don't, you know, I, I won't go too far into this, but, uh, the only thing I'll say is that, uh, this is my first time doing it and just the process of going through this and like figuring out, you know, how to talk to investors, how to present your company uh, has been amazing, amazing learning experience and has kind of made us better for it. Um, so I, I definitely um, would recommend people who are of the entrepreneurial mindset. Um, you know, I, I've always been a bootstrapper kind of trying to just get things done on our own. Um, but if you do have the opportunity to uh, actually pitch other people, um, there there can be a lot of uh, value to that, and then I would uh, highly recommend it. And and you can feel free to ping me with uh, questions. Uh, that's the other thing I found is that people that have gone through the process have been extremely helpful and beneficial in um, offering up advice. Uh, people, a lot of people within the Angular community, in fact. Uh, so definitely leverage that. And then the uh, last thing I was going to mention that uh, I've been working on uh, for a lot of the Angular Universal stuff that Patrick and I, Patrick and I's library for doing server rendering. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, activity there on the side. Uh, a couple of the major things that are going on there is um, we're, we're placing a big emphasis on the CLI now, where we're trying to smooth over the sort of common pain that people have with well, not just universal, like Angular 2 as well, you know, that initial setup and kind of overcoming the hurdle of the build process and all these build tools like Webpack, SystemJS, like everything you might not be familiar at, just um, getting over that hurdle. And the CLI helps a lot with that as kind of if you saw the ng-conf uh, talk from Mike uh, Bracco. Uh, so that's coming along. It's, it's, it's not there yet where people can use it yet, but in the coming um, month or so, you should start to see something there. Then the other uh, kind of really two quick things on the Angular Universal side is that we are starting to build out a sort of um, set of services and utilities above the Universal Library. What we're realizing is that people who are building you know, Universal apps 
and this is something I mentioned in my ng-conf talk, you know, that there's a lot of common problems that people run into or common challenges. And the reality is that there are these set of services that everybody needs, you know, things to modify, like the canonical URL and the head tag, you know, like there's a million things related to either SEO or, or something, um, performance-based that we're starting to endeavor to um, create at least a version of those that everybody can can start from and then kind of override with your unique um, requirements. Uh, so that's going to be coming down the road. And then the last thing is I've just been doing a lot of refactoring for the pre-boot library within Angular Universal. Uh, John Goiter, who's from the community, has helped to um, enable it to be multi-app so you can have multiple Angular 2 apps on the server side. Uh, which is going to be cool. And then uh, I've been – actually, the, the one kind of interesting thing is uh, that I'm doing right now is I'm trying to uh, optimize the size of uh, Preboot because Preboot is inlined in your server view, so it has to be as small as possible. And right now I think it's like 20K, which is too big. So I am almost there with producing it down to about 2K, like basically an order of magnitude. Uh, which is going to be, uh, so, I mean, as you could imagine, I had to really, uh, get tricky with, uh, how I wrote my JavaScript, you know, with that inline piece of preboot so that it's like as small as possible. So, uh, yeah, that was interesting. We're going to take a quick break to hear about ThoughtRam. ThoughtRam, extend your memory. Want to get up and running with the Angular framework, but don't have the time to read through all the documentation and tutorials on the internet? ThoughtRam's Angular Masterclass may be perfect for you. Check it out today at thoughtram.io forward slash training. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. All right. Uh, That's it for updates for me. Let's get into topics. Uh, So the way this is going to work is... I'm just going to uh, bring up a couple um, things that have been happening and then get uh, Justin's fee- initial feedback and you know, I'll add my two cents as well. So, Justin, yes. first up is Google I.O. Um, wow. Did you you get a chance to watch any of the uh, talks for Google I.O.? You know, I've seen parts of a, of a few. I haven't actually got a chance to watch through them yet. Um, kind of read through the, the summary of everything that kind of got a, a, the gist of everything that was covered in that. But um, yeah, so even yeah. if you didn't see any of the videos, like um, there, there's a certain set of like topics, high level topics that were hit on constantly throughout the conference. And that, that's really what we're going to talk about. Cool. So the first one is VR, virtual yeah. reality. So like virtual reality, I mean, Facebook is playing a big, big emphasis on VR. Uh, Google I.O. announced that they were creating this thing called Daydream, which is a mobile VR platform. You know, I, I guess I'm curious, uh, Justin, what, what your thoughts are on VR in general and, and, and what's going on both at Google and Facebook and, you know, in, in some of these other areas. Yeah. So um, I guess related to that, uh, we went to build this year. We've been going to build for the past few years and, you know, they have the whole HoloLens thing. And so kind of, you know, from the Microsoft side of that. Um, it's interesting that we saw this presentation on the HoloLens and kind of we're thinking about that in terms of well, what, what does that mean for a developer in terms of this VR space and, and what are you building for it and stuff like that. Um, and obviously in, in that stack, it was very, I mean, Microsoft has their, you know, universal type stuff for the, the JavaScript stuff. So he's like, well, maybe that's going to be a, a possibility as a front end developer. Can I bring apps to that space? Right. Um, but uh, I think on the, you know, the Google side of things, immediately kind of start thinking about, well, you know, they, they feel like their ecosystem is very front-end developer-friendly, right? Like, what, what's that story going to be like? Can, I mean, can I start building Angular 2 apps and actually get them into there as well? You know, and that might be... <laughs> Angular 2 on VR? Maybe that's a possibility, right? Or, or what, you know, what, what would I use that in terms of an a application-type platform, right? Or, or hardware system platform for delivering you know, whatever I'm building sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I, you know, the key thing in my mind um, when I think about VR is when is going to make, well, two things. First of all, you know, the, the, from a hardware perspective, the hardware right now is super expensive. Mm-hmm. And so you have the early adopters, people who are super into it, which is mostly people gamers. Right. Right. Um, right. And, and it's only when, 
you're, they get to the point where the technology is advanced enough and they're able to bring down the costs when it, it is going to really, uh, you know, even have a t- chance to explode. Like at, mm-hmm. at the current price point, it's just not feasible. But I think they're okay with that because they're still working out a lot of the uh, technology as a whole. Right. Uh, um, and then the other thing is that when does it make that leap from just games to augmented right. reality or, or right. like, you know, some of the stuff like more pl- practical use? Um, right. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I, I know that from the VC perspective, I mean, one of the things that because of what we've been doing, like I have uh, started to be tuned into like what the VCs are starting to be like really interested in. VR is one of those things mm-hmm. that like, yeah. there's a lot of interesting, a lot of, lot of um, people that are believers basically in the future. Yeah, it feels like it's stuck around for a while long enough now that it's now permeating through that it's like, okay, this is on the radar, right? This is some level of importance. It's going to be here. It's going to, it's coming, you know, and, and yeah, how do, how do we work that into this whole, whole process? Right. Yep. All right. Second topic for uh, Google IO or second thing of, of four, basically that I was going to bring up is AI. So AI has always been um, part of Google uh, underneath the scenes, you know, with its search engine, with, you know, different uh, parts of its products. Uh, but there's a couple of interesting things that they um, came out with during Google I.O. Uh, two in particular. One was a messaging chatbot. Like, it seems like everybody's coming out with a chatbot now. Right. Uh, this thing called Allo. Maybe I'm saying that right? Allo? Whatever. <clears throat> and then um, there, um, and Allo uses this thing, Google Assistant, which is this AI um, backend. And then uh, the other thing is Google Home. So, like, just like Amazon's, what's the thing that Amazon has? Do you? Uh, Echo. Echo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got a lot like, in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so similar type of idea. This thing that you can talk to and get feedback and whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, what, what's your thoughts on AI messaging these devices and that type of thing? Yeah. Okay. So um, with the AI, it's, it's really interesting, right? Because we've got bots for all the things now, right? That's the hotness, right? Um, and again, referencing Build, we were up at Build for, and they announced, Microsoft announced they have this whole bot uh, ecosystem that they're trying to launch as well. And then now here, Google's got the same sort of thing. And, and it's like, yeah, everybody's on this craze. It's interesting having been around for a long time, right? That like, remember bots back in the days of ICQ and AIM and all this stuff, right? We had We've had bots for a while now, so it's like, why are they so hot now? But I think it's the integration of, you know, that concept with what Slack brought and, you know, HipChat and all these things. It's, it's aggregating all that data together and providing a, a, a message system, a communication system that now can do all the things, right? So I, I think, you know, it's, it's definitely interesting. One thing I like with the Google products and what they've done with that, um, I recently switched to an, an Android-based phone uh, probably six months ago, seven months ago. And uh, it, it's really nice having that integration point of, of these different things. Even things, something as simple as uh, inbox and, and mail to reply quickly with a, you know, suggested reply that this thing's popular. That, that's what I immediately think of when I think of this uh, new integrated AI into chat it, that they're showing and, and doing is that they do that same sort of thing in inbox. Right. Um, and I found that to be pretty useful that it actually can kind of identify, Oh yeah, that, that response worked fine. Okay. I can just hit that and be on my way. And so for chat to be able to kind of quickly respond to certain things, um, it's cool. I mean, it'll be interesting to see, do they provide that then hook, you know, how, as a developer, can I easily write in these hooks to say within this chat experience, can I provide other things like, how's my build doing or, you know, or kick off something here or notify there, you know, can I, how the integration, I mean, that story is pretty cool. So um, it's always cool to see that open up as a possibility. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think the, we're only at the beginning. Right. I I think that um, the usage of both in my mind, the messaging thing and the Google home thing are like two different UIs for the same type of interface, like this right. com- conversational interface, either through your conversational interface is either typing in the message or talking. Um, but in the back end, it's the same thing. You're, you're talking to some sort of um, either automated or fully automated or um, AI system or, you know, one common thing that a lot of people are doing is this AI human hybrid uh, where the, um, the thing on the back end it 
tries to use some level of AI, but then there's humans backing it in some way. Okay. Uh, that's sort of the common thing. One, there's, there's, uh, this is another huge area. In fact, I'd love to do like a whole show just on this. Like I have a yeah. lot of thoughts myself. Uh, the one thing I guess, uh, or two things, I, I guess I'll restrict my, my uh, comments to is that um, we, we uh, get human, you know, do this. We've talked to a lot of other people and uh, I, I really enjoyed talking to this one particular guy who used to be the head of product at Go Butler, um, which is, you know, a messaging platform mm-hmm. for doing virtual assistant stuff. And he wrote a blog post, which I'll include a link to that he basically We'll talk about the state of the industry and then talked about where these types of interfaces aren't necessarily the best way. Like, it, like there's some people who go crazy. They go, they go over, overboard uh, right. that, that uh, they're, they're using then chat for like everything. And chat isn't necessarily the best interface all the time. Right. Um, and then the, the last thing I was going to mention is just that uh, we're, we're at the point where the stuff that can be easily automated is starting to like that, where you can con- mm-hmm. connect up these, um, these services where it is already kind of online. The much harder thing is fulfillment for things that are not necessarily like automated. So like, um, it used to be that, uh, things like, um, in the real world, like delivery and whatever was part of that. But now because the logistics of that, like there's services that are being built on top of these human services um, and you can hook into those things that are built on top of the human services, then that works. But there's still all sorts of different stuff that's just inaccessible right now because there's no kind of hook into it per se. Right, right. And so I think in addition to the AI and messaging technology itself and, and the voice technology improving over time, you're also going to see vast improvements as people build on top of these previously inaccessible areas. Um, so anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, they need to expose that data, expose those. Yeah. Those, yeah. And get up on, on speed. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. one thing on the um, uh, home thing, um, cause I didn't touch on that. Uh, it's interesting because I've, I've, thought about the echo few of my friends have the echo and they, they love that thing and the amazon product right and and i was on the, i was about to pick one up and then with this announcement for google's you know home that's like okay well now maybe i should wait and uh, of course with everything in technology right you're about to pull the trigger but you know it's going to change something new is going to come out three months from now four months from now so you just kind of live with it but um yeah, there's been a lot of buzz out there that every well, people's initial reaction that I've seen has been like, oh man, this thing's going to destroy Amazon Echo, you know, and it's going to be so much better. So now it's going to be cool. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how, how much, you know, how cool it is. So Yeah, that is interesting. I, I haven't uh, talked to anybody who has one yet. So uh, yeah, I have seen some of those comments online, but I, 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 maybe a Christmas present. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. I'll, uh, I'll put that on the list. Um, okay. Uh, third topic from Google I.O., uh, car automation. So Google has been trying to do self-driving car for a while. Um, there's other companies that are kind of getting into the game too, like um, you know Uber. Uh, you know, there's a company called Cruise that was bought by GM, I want to say. Um, you know, basically, whether I, I think mainstream... Um, people edged out there who aren't kind of paying attention probably don't see this coming tidal wave of automated um, dri- automated driving cars that is like definitely coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but people that are in the industry, you know, seeing some, some of these things happening, you know, really the only reason why it hasn't kind of exploded is that I, I think um, there, there's some regulation um, that, that they're, they're still trying to go through. Uh, there's like, four levels of automation where number like level four is like fully automated where there's like no driver. Um, I think, and that's further out. I think the, the thing that is sort of the, the pending um, wave of explosion is, is the level three. Uh, you know, level two is in cars right now where they do like enhanced um, cruise control, like some mm-hmm. extra stuff. So you don't go out of your lane and that type of thing. So that's in cars. Now level three is like a little more advanced where like, 
it will, you could take, you know, you still have to be in the driver's seat, but it can do almost everything, you know, for you. And you have to kind of assist in, in a couple things. Um, so a lot of the big focus right now getting out is, you know, level three and then just various uh, stuff um, involved with, uh, you know, software in the car. Uh, so the, the, in addition to automated cars, at Google I.O., they talked about Android Auto, which is just, you know, software platform for cars, basically, mm-hmm. um, which has been pretty big. Uh, so do you keep on any up, up, uh, up on any of this, Justin? Well, I drive a car, so there's that, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I do a little bit. Um, I think that uh, it's interesting. I, I hope that that other part, the very last part that you mentioned, which is the, the integration, right, of the software and stuff like that, like integration with your phone, with your car, um, doesn't just get leapfrogged over because right now there's, you know, there's some there. But really, before I get an automated car, what I would really love to have is just be able to play my jams on there from my phone with a slick interface, be able to receive and, and reply to text messages, you know, all through the interface of my car um, and get that all dialed in, you know, and it seems like that's doesn't have enough tension right now, you know, and it's like, okay, man, do the automated car thing, but also make sure you do this part too. So it sounds like they're uh, attra- atta- attacking that as well. Um, so that, that's a big thing for me, I'd want, but then I think, uh, you know, for, for me, I, I would have to step into, I guess I, I would want to jump into like level two first, right? Like I want to get in a car first and see it uh, parallel park for me and like feel comfortable with that first, you know? So it's like almost, I want to experience as a user, level two, level three, level four, before I like fully commit to level four, right. Of a fully automated car. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see because I mean, I, I haven't even been in a car yet that will self park. And so it'd be interesting to see how, how that feels and that experience is, you know, because there's that level of trust, right. The, the human oh, trust yeah. with, oh, with yeah. the yeah. machine and this, and more so, especially in, in driving more so the trust of what the other guy or girl is doing in the other lane. Right. Like that's, that mm-hmm. would be the biggest worry. It's like, yeah, you may be car may be going straight, but um, how does it react to this? And I guess that would be like what level three, you know, in terms of, of how it's doing that. Yeah. I don't know how driving is around by you. Uh, you're in Santa Bernardino. Is that right? Uh, San Luis Obispo, central coast of California. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, yeah. So I don't know how driving is around there, but in, in Boston, uh, yeah, people are crazy. So like <laughs> you, you almost get this like spidey sense after a while, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. watching, like you could like almost look at their eyes and you could see, okay, that, that guy, He's going to do something crazy. I know he's going to do something crazy. Like I'm going to slow down and like let (laughs) go by. Um, So yeah, there's that type of stuff that I'm sure is going to be a continued uh, learning process. Um, But one thing that's clear. So I I, I think the timing of things is probably debatable. But one thing that I I would find it hard to debate against is that eventually we're going to get to like fully automated cars. Uh, I mean, that's just like, I, I just couldn't imagine how that would not happen. And, and the funny thing there is that, you know, th- there's a, lo- uh, a lot of people, uh, younger people who joke that uh, they may never have to learn how to drive a car at all. Right. right like it, right. if, if uh, that's like, you know, within the next 10 years and that type of thing. So right. uh, yeah, yeah, that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. The, I mean, the only way I could see it possibly not happening is if it gets jumped over by something like uh, hyperloop, right? We got a bunch of micro hyperloops everywhere that becomes public transportation. And maybe now you don't have cars even in the mix, right? Cause there's a replacement. I don't know. Or teleportation or tell. Right. Yeah. There's right. that teleportation. Too, right? Then it's like game over. Right. 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 And then talk about, talk about being scared about it, you know, test driving that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Okay. And then the last item from Google IO was, this is like a combo thing. And, um, you know, it's basically has to do with apps that, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a couple different teams with different philosophies within Google, um, uh, with, with regard to building apps. And you, there, there is a strong contingent on the website, you know, with the Chrome team and, you know, any other team as well, uh, basically advocating for, um, progressive web apps, essentially not necessarily, building mobile at all, native, you know, uh, just to keep on building on top of the web platform, enhance, enhancing the web platform, um, building offline apps with just web technologies. Uh, so you have that sort of thing that was promoted like pretty heavily during Google IO. And then the other thing is, I mean, they still have a big Android. Uh, you know, obviously Android is huge within Google and they have Android instant apps now, uh, you know, just another, uh, innovation, there um so people don't have to like fully download an app in order to experience some part of the functionality it's, it's sort of 
coming the other way from the problem, like, like, uh, you know, where, where you have some sort of like, almost like web like, um, experience with native apps. It's kind of, it is an interesting take, but, um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on this, Jeff, Justin? What, what, what are you betting your, your future on? Well, um, first of all, I'm, I'm happy to see that, uh, the web is back in this rejuvenation of getting attention again. You know, I mean, we, we started this big movement for the past few years about apps, native apps getting a lot of attention. And I think that's great. You know, I'm, I'm glad there's native apps. I think they should, there's still a place for them. Um, I'm not against them. Uh, but, uh, I love seeing the fact that, uh, the web is being promoted again and, and it's being like, okay, now let's bring this in back in the mix and say, look, we, you know, we, we've got a platform. We've got this awesome scenario where you can iterate and, and deliver um, changes to your application fast. And, and the barrier to people getting them, you know, up and running is, is minimum because they can just get right there in the browser. And, and now to have this ability to do these things, you know, on these mobile devices, but, but writing these front end kind of code and stuff, um, you know, I'm, gl- I'm glad that there's this passion and being driven by um, these bigger companies like Google and stuff like, by by talking about this and having that discussion and saying, "Hey, look, we this is still there's still tons of place for this." So, so as a front end developer, that's you know obviously great, right? Um, it's interesting uh, in terms of this uh, small de- delivery of this uh, the application that you get from like native apps, right? That they're talking about doing. Um, I mean, my my initial thought immediately is about like, okay, well isn't that kind of like a, a demo trial sort of thing? Like, like, okay, you get to see it, but what, um, it goes delivers delivered to me fast, but what am I getting at? Am I going to want that? Am I just kind of looking at it to see a pre a more like, uh, interactive screenshot essentially, or, or an interactive video at that point of the app to kind of really make my decision on if I want to buy it or not. I'm kind of still digesting like, like what, what is the benefit of that? I mean, I guess they're trying to get over the hurdle. I, and I, I honestly don't know, like, like you, I, I don't know how much of a problem this is per se, but, um, get over the hurdle, uh, mental hurdle of people like, Oh, do I really want to download this app? Like what if I just want to try a whole bunch of different, different ones out, you know, something along those lines. We like on the web, you can go to like 50 different web pages really quick. Um, right. but it's probably a harder, uh, sell to like actually download 50 apps and then complete them. Like people just don't do that. So I, th- I think that's, at least that's my impression. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that, how that goes. I mean, I, I, I don't do a lot of app downloading. I mean, I have occasionally here and there, but, um, I don't know. I kind of go for the things that I know functionally that I need and then I kind of live with them, um, sort of thing. So yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how. And then they said that uh, at, from some of the stuff I read is that they were kind of implying that as a developer, and you kind of always do this, right? The company's feeding the Kool-Aid, but implied that it won't be that hard for developers to implement this feature into their application. So, I mean, that's always another concern as an app developer is how, how easy am I going to be able to give this little trial version of it out there um, and implement that in my existing code. But it kind of seems to sound like they have, they have a solution for that. So, um, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, there's, um, yeah, I, I, I can't. I, I've thought about uh, many times the, the, the mobile app um, future because of just it's relevant to what we're going to do at work. You know, like uh, it's. I, I've debated so many times in my head, like how much we want to. I mean, basically, what it comes down to is that look, the 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 web platform has is ideal. Like overall, I mean, take everything else out of it. If the web platform gave you the same level of performance, same level of functionality, I mean, it's no brainer. Like you, you wouldn't want, who would want to write in different languages and different um, technologies? Like it's just, you wouldn't want to, uh, but we're not there yet. I mean, that's just the reality. Uh, I do think that it's improving. Like today it's way better than it was a year ago. It'll continue to get better. And so this sort of question for which is really based off of your business is okay. Are you okay with the current difficulties? Uh, does that even affect you? Some a lot of businesses it doesn't. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether certain things are slower. You don't have certain functionality. And uh, are you okay, kind of working through the um, the deficiencies like that that do exist today? That gap, like. Uh, so, 
And that's not an easy question, I don't think, for, mm-hmm. for most people. Um, and then on the other, other side, if you're, if you're going to buy into native, I mean, is it okay with the downsides there, which typically are, I mean, you have to typically um, get people that are sort of specialized in the area, like it's usually more costly. Uh, and, and that's actually, um, uh, man, I forget, I don't know if you, you saw this, Justin, but there was um, some company who came out with this, uh, like the larger company came out with a study that they they essentially got rid of all their mobile apps uh, like a year ago or something and just went like fully like web, like PWAs, like everything. And, uh, or, or maybe they used Cordova or something as, as well, like they, but they didn't do um, straight native and they saved some large amounts of money because they didn't have to like both developers and some of the other costs associated, associated with it. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I saw that it was like a cost analysis type of thing and they, they broke down. Yeah. How that changed their ecosystem. <clears throat> and their, yeah. 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 So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Be uh, one, of, one of the things I think about it, it's funny because one of the other things I think about when I heard that announcement about this uh, delivery of the partial app in the, in the app store is a, uh, I mean, it kind of mirrors Angular Universal, right? Uh, in terms of like, what if it was used that way? What if it was, okay, I'm going to get this app, bam, I've got a, a functionally usable part of it right away. And then mm-hmm. while the rest of it loads in the background, right? Yeah, um, it's yeah. kind of the same pattern, right? I mean, if they took it to that pattern, that, would, that might be pretty neat. So then I could get up and running with the apps that I am deciding on going with faster. Actually, this brings up one other topic that I didn't have down, but I, I thought was interesting from Google IO. So they talked... A little bit, it's, it's something that I saw before, but um, I sort of ignored, to be quite honest. But once I started talking about it, I, I realized that there was a lot of weight behind it. So I, I've started to look into it more the past couple of weeks, which is um, Google's AMP specification, AMP. So you, have you heard about this, Justin? Sounds familiar. Refresh me. It's, it's basically... Okay, so taking take a step back, um, the, where this is coming from is that uh, you know Google, for some time, has placed a big emphasis on mobile for, I mean, for obvious reasons that people are accessing the web through their mobile devices, you know, more and more. Uh, I, I know for us uh, personally at get human um, on a daily basis, I think 70%, 75% of our users are on mobile devices. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Uh, so they are in their search algorithms in basically every way that they can, they've been trying to promote, best practices, which include, you know, the stuff like, you know, making sure your images are sized right and whatever else. But this AMP specification is sort of this, uh, uh, I guess, taking what previously before was like a list of best practices, like, okay, you should do this because um, it'll provide a good user experience or whatever, to something where it's like codified almost that it's like, okay, if, if your site does these very specific things, then um, basically they're, they're going to promote it more through the search engine. Like it, in essence, you're going to get more traffic to mm-hmm. your site, uh, like almost guaranteed. Uh, so th- there's a lot of benefits uh, to implementing the specification and the reason why that, that happens, I mean, just uh, conceptually it's that it, it does provide a better user experience because it load your page load fa- loads much faster. The user can see everything right away. Uh, so it's a lot of stuff like making sure that your JavaScript and CSS that's needed above the fold is, is inlined and everything else is deferred. Um, I forget all, all the rest of them, but it's, it's a whole list of stuff that, isn't necessarily easy to implement, especially with an existing large app. Um, so it definitely does take work. But I guess for sure, if you are everybody who has publicly facing apps who cares about SEO, should definitely read through it and check it out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's definitely worth your time. Uh, and if you're building a new app, especially, you should be implementing um, your new app with this in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had to work backwards, and. Uh, kind of tack it on to what we currently have, which has been challenging, but uh, yeah, we're, we're getting improving uh, actually. So, so yeah, if you want to see uh, an example of not us fully there, but um, at least partially, if you go to gethuman.com now, you can start to see some of the fruits of our labor of it quickly loading, especially on uh, slower devices. It's actually still pretty fast right now. So 
Nice. Yeah. Nice. So it's uh, interesting in that topic. Um, thinking about it from a, uh, as you develop any type of application, there's, there's so many things now that you have to be concerned about, you know, and think about and, and track as you develop and, and you're focusing on these one things and it's like, okay, I gotta hit this mark and this mark and this mark. Right. Um, and they're all things that you want to do, but you got the time, you got all these issues coming, coming to play. Right. So I wonder how, um, something like that could be translated into like a linter or something that you could have as part of your code that says, Hey, you haven't done this yet, you know, so get on it or, or, you know, suggesting these sort of things. That's part of that whole pipeline that allows you to say, okay, it's, it's going to remind me, it's going to be in my face. Um, I know I don't have time to get to it now, but when I get to the next three or four features that take my mind away from that, like I'll have a, something that's rem- reminding me that, Hey, yeah, don't forget, give this thing some attention. Right. Yeah, actually, uh, on that point, it's, it, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, there's sort of two things there. One is that uh, there are existing tools on the web to help kind of see some of that, which I'm sure you could hook into your build process if you want to with a Google page feed and a web page test mm-hmm. um, that sort of has some of that information. I, I think actually, I think in Webmaster Tools, they have some stuff there too. But but for sure, Google page feed like, is, uh, is a good source for that. And then, and then some of the linting stuff that you brought up, actually, I forgot to mention, you know, with the CLI integration that we're working towards, part of it is like initial scaffolding. Part of it is like generating like um, uh, server-side, you know, HTML um, pre-rendering. Uh, but part of it is linting. So like they, they're, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff that they're using with Codalyzer. Have you, have you heard of Codalyzer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like uh, it's, it's this like kind of code analysis um, tool that they're using with the CLI to do like all linting sort of stuff and then just recommendations of like, Hey, you should do this instead of this or whatever. So that's gonna be interesting. I'm just starting to get into that, but, um, of basically what types of things we'll look for in your code to recommend, like in terms of like your universal app. Um, but I have pretty high hopes that that's going to like help a lot as well. Totally. Hey, I have a question for you on the CLI then while we're talking about the topic really quick. Sure, Um, go for it. (laughs) So so what's the concept of if if I have additional, you know, the CLI is doing all this build process and everything underneath the covers for me, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, If now I want to say I got to add something to that, right? Like, is it just like I add a gulp file and I can start adding gulp tasks and it's going to get picked up? or, Or how do I mix, add that into the mix, right? So so today it's not easy. Like, so today they just, it's sort of a closed... Um, mm-hmm. like, uh, it's not as easy to add plugins, but, uh, that is, will be one of the goals. So like they're working towards that where I, th- I, my impression and hopefully Mike doesn't kill me, uh, Mike Bracco, uh, with my, um, framing of this, but my impression is that where we will eventually get to is where, um, the core CLI, well, first of all, uh, okay, good. Right now, every, everything is kind of one big chunk. Like, so part of this process of making it expandable is actually breaking everything up, um, which is needed for a number of reasons. I mean, it's, it's like a huge download. Like, if you try to, like, install yourself, it takes, like, forever. Uh, and every, you don't need everything. So uh, part of the refactoring that's going on right now is kind of breaking it up into all these small pieces, and then you just bring together the pieces that you want. And that um, in the, what they're going for, that it's easily expandable so that, yeah, similar to like a gulp type of thing. Like you, when you add your gulp tasks that are custom for your stuff, you would build plugins on top of the CLI. Uh, I think the hope is that we'll be able to use this like build platform that everybody is like kind of pushed. Like we're trying to encourage everybody in the Angular community to use this common build platform, and hopefully that will kind of all get us to. Uh, converge on a set of standards much quicker because you know with angular one it took a while right mm-hmm. uh, and then part of that is just people's got to use it after a while for sure um, but e- even in spite of that i just don't think there was as big of an emphasis on creating these common set of standards and best practices until like john papa came out with his style guide um, which was only relatively recently like many years into the project uh, so i think they're trying to get ahead of that ball and and you within the matter of like I mean, what I would say is like a year from now, uh, where uh, a Angular two will already will be out by then, and a lot of this stuff will uh, there'll be production apps out. People will start to like uh, 
oh, you're laughing. Like, I was cr- I crossing my fingers, hoping. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm assuming it will be, but let's hope. <laughs> it will. But, but the idea is that similar to what they sort of talk about in the Ember world, like I, I do think that there, it is a great value when you can look at somebody else's app in you know the, this your ecosystem and it's just familiar because you guys are, are kind of doing things in the same way. Uh, with Angular One, you really can't do that. I mean, the, people are all over the map, right? Um, but but I think that. I have high hopes that with Angular 2, we're going to um, all kind of be working, pushing together and come up with like a great way of building web apps that kind of everybody does things, you know, somewhat similar. Similar, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Next topic. Now, this is one that I actually uh, did not get a chance to see any of the videos from, but React Europe was just recently, and React is obviously... Uh, Different than Angular is not the same thing, uh, but I bring it up because typically, uh, you know, especially over the past you know year or two, there's been a lot of stuff that's come out of React, especially the conferences, that gets folded back into Angular. Uh, so, Justin, have you have you had a chance to watch any of the uh, videos or highlights from React Europe? I have not seen any of them yet. Um, but one topic I'm really interested in is, uh, is GraphQL. Mm, um, yep. That. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, really interesting, especially in terms of how that applies to thinking about, you know, I mean, we're building our application. We have these REST endpoints, right, all over for delivering our data. And that felt great and felt nice. Uh, but as that thing grows, it's like, oh, man, you, you notice these pains. And, and the things that GraphQL talk about solving uh, in terms of not really hitting one particular endpoint, but being able to query it and dynamically grow, like uh, I can totally see a fit for that, for solving some of these problems that arise as, as to this rigidity of like this REST um, API type of thing and, and trying to solve that problem. So super interested in that to see more on that. So the GraphQL team is actually based in Boston. And uh, it was funny, we had a meetup that the last Angular meetup that we had, uh, somebody was talking about comparing GraphQL and Falcor, and which was a super, super interesting talk. I did a great job, and uh, I talked to the Facebook GraphQL person uh, afterwards. And uh, the thing I realized is that I, I just I I mentally have a tough time getting. I can see the value in it, like you, you were talking about, Justin. I mentally have a tough time getting over for my own needs. Like I just feel like I need to do things in like the rest sort of way, just cause I've done it for so long and like, I understand it. And I'm in my mind, I'm like, okay, this GraphQL thing is interesting where it handles like all of the communication and, and you're, and you're kind of defining your data needs in like a different way. But, um, I don't know. I just can't, uh, it, it, it's hard for me to get uh, over that mental hurdle, I guess. Uh, but um, I do think it's interesting. We are going to have a show uh, just on GraphQL in the next uh, month or so. We're still trying to finalize the scheduling of that. Um, but I agree. Interesting topic for sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's cool because it, you you know, just have all these different ecosystems and these different platforms and languages and all these things that really are getting shared in terms of, okay, you know, they're solving this over here and somebody solves this over there. And now, okay, that gives us a chance to think about how can we solve it over here? We're running that same problem over here, right? Um, and now we can learn from what they've done or even adopt that and take that. Um, it's that sharing of all that knowledge and stuff. That's really cool. So, you know, yeah, like yeah. mentioned reacts out of the scope of angular, but there's just so there's just goodness everywhere to try and pull from and learn from and stuff. Um, people, all, so many problems to solve, right. And people are just solving these things in different ways and different times and just learning that knowledge and stuff is great. Yeah. And so for that reason, I would definitely encourage, you know, all angular developers to watch the react videos, watch, the stuff, even if it's not in the particular technology, like what, regardless of whether it's React or something else, like whenever there's, uh, you know, interesting discussions going on, uh, it's it's typically, typically something as, as far as the web technologies go that you can kind of fold back some sort of learning lesson or some type of thing back into what you're doing as well. So, uh, yeah, definitely recommend that. Um, actually, oh, she's already near the end of our time here. I um, So we'll skip over a couple of things. I, I do want to... Um, 
Let's just uh, go over two quick things here right at the end. So I, I wanted to get to um, mention uh, cancelable promises. Did you see this, Justin, that they, that it went to stage two um, for um, the ECMA standards? Yeah, I was checking that out. So it's uh, getting close to being observables. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, well, it's this weird thing, I think. like, it, it, There's definitely a lot of discussion in the community because – I mean, it's, it's a heated topic. Like, it seems like such a simple thing, like you're adding a cancel to a promise, right? Uh, but I, it, I, I probably won't pull in all sides of the discussion here, but I think part of it is that the camp that just thinks, hey, promises are what they are. They're either resolved or not resolved. Like, that's been the spec, and that's the way people have been implementing it. If you add this like additional thing of, of being able to cancel them, even though that functionally would be useful in some cases, it would fundamentally change what they do and it would screw people up or whatever, like the existing uh, implementations. But then the people on the other side are like, well, but this is something useful that we could do. Now the counter argument to that, uh, the usefulness um, is that, well, that's why you use observables. <laughs> You know, which has this functionality already. So, like, uh, I think people like Ben Lash get frustrated because um, they've been trying to promote, you know, more of the standardization and utilization of observables. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, there's no need to kind of tack this on to uh, promises. Uh, so do you have any thoughts on this? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's like a tug, right? So it's a give and take. And it's from one aspect, you look at it just like that, 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 you know, okay, promises are doing this one thing that they're, that they're doing, right. And they fulfill that need. And so there could be scenarios where you could say, oh, well, um, that, that fits for that, right. Like, like I actually want to have that pattern and, and, oh, I'll use promises to do that. Right. Um, but then, uh, on the other side, you say, well, yeah, we expand this, this ability of what it can do. It's like, well, there's something else that, that can do that. Right. So now you're like, they're kind of the same. So how does a person pick? Well, do I do a promise or a reservable? Cause they would both do the same gamut. Right. Uh, but then on the flip side, it's like, well, okay, you got two things that do separate things, but now, hey, what if I do want to do cancel something? So now I got to do observable. So now to, that means I got to bring in that library and bring in all that concepts and stuff into my apps. So now I've got two combined where I could, it would be nice to just have one that does kind of all the stuff. So yeah, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, I don't know the stuff. <laughs> yeah. We'll see where it shakes out. Yeah. Um, but are, are you an observable guy? Uh, are you a believer in reactive? Um, I, I'm going to believer of a lot of things. Right? So <laughs> um, I, I do embrace that. Um, I, I can embrace promises as well uh, if needed. So, well, okay. um, so but you- I do like that. I, yeah. I mean, in the Angular space, but in Angular 2 space, I mean, observables and, you know, starting to do some Redux stuff and stuff like that. And it's, uh, it's pretty slick. So. so I'm trying to gauge where on the spectrum you are. So like, you, you're starting to do Redux stuff. Are you doing RxJS or, or, or just basic Redux? Um, we're kind of playing around. We, we kind of like hand rolled an implementation of it, kind of kind of based on the Redux uh, RxJS type of stuff. So we've got kind of something simple right now going for it to kind of get a feel for it. We're still kind of trying to understand that whole model of, uh, man, if, if our state is gigantic, right? we got this multiple tools and multiple things um, that we got to keep state on in this big giant monolithic app, like how does that fit into maintaining this state library on top of all of our other stuff mm-hmm. and, and play through. But so there's like all these benefits of using it all, especially when you start talking about turning off and, and switching change detection and all this stuff, right? It feels right. It feels great. Right. But then it's kind of like, okay, how does that play out in the story? So we're, we're still kind of running through that, but um, yeah, I think I'm intrigued by it. That'll, we're we're going to definitely dedicate another uh, full show to that topic as well. I think it's something that a lot of people are looking at now. Um, we are right at the top of our hour, and I'm about to get kicked out of this room. Uh, Justin, did you, did you have any picks or anything that we missed that you wanted to plug? Uh, the only thing I would say is that I just noticed that the uh, docs on Angular.io um, that they're always improving. They're they're awesome. They, they now have this thing that uh, next to like the classes and, and or uh, directives and and stuff like that that shows the stability of them. Um, so I don't know if yeah. you noticed that yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next to the class name is like stability, and um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that because I go to someone's that I like a lot, and it's like stability unstable or red. Uh-huh. And I'm like, uh-huh. oh, crap, what does that mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting that they're surfacing that. So um, yeah. yeah, plug that. All right, my last thing is that uh, I'm going to plug. You see, I have a native script shirt on. Um, 
And I am plugging uh, Nathan Walker uh, created native script for the web. So he basically built a bunch of um, components in Angular 2 that can look at the native script uh, syntax, like a web view, and then render it on the web. Uh, definitely awesome. I'm going to include the link to that. Uh, definitely check it out. So that's it for this week. Uh, I'm going to have the schedule for the next couple of weeks up uh, hopefully by next week. And uh, hope everybody has enjoys the summer. Has a great weekend. Talk to you later. Bye. Yeah.